0: Welcome back to the World Christian Podcast. I'm Mark Stanley, your host, and today we're going to read probably my favorite poem. Obviously, there are a few legitimate contenders for that title, but this one certainly is in the top three. It's called When I Consider How My Light is Spent by John Milton. Um, It's also known as On His Blindness, but that was a title given by a publisher many years later. And if you're not familiar with John Milton, he is one of the best English writers to ever live. He's usually ranked up there with Shakespeare, Dante, and Chaucer. Uh, Normally, you know, there's some disagreement among who gets the silver and bronze and who gets the short straw. uh, But it's pretty undebatable that these four men have had an unprecedented impact on the Anglo-Saxon world. Anyway, uh, John Milton lived from 1608 to 1674 in England. He was a Puritan, a Republican, and a fierce advocate of the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech, and kind of the ideals of self-governance, even under uh, King Charles I. He then went on to serve as a civil servant for the Commonwealth of England under Oliver Cromwell. And the reason he's still known and revered today is because of his epic poem called Paradise Lost, a dramatization of the fall of Adam and Eve described in Genesis 3. But the short poem that we're going to read today was written in 1652, before his magnum opus, and I'm really excited to share with you this tiny piece of Milton's brilliance. But before I get into it, I would like to ask that if you have benefited from the podcast or believe in our mission, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to support our work on our website, wellreadchristian.com. There you will also find interesting quotes, sources, articles, and more available free of charge. These are tough times for all of us. And if your contribution would cause any amount of financial pressure, please do not even consider it. But for those who are willing and able to give, it is because of your gift that the podcast can continue and even grow. So thank you. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about the history of John Milton. Uh, That isn't nearly as interesting or beautiful as his poem. But it is important to know a bit about him in order to understand the full depth and weight of this incredible piece of writing. Uh, and for it to be clear uh, to the reader why it's so, well, amazing and brilliant. Uh, ever since John Milton was young, he knew that he wanted to write an epic poem, uh, which could parallel the towering achievements of the Iliad or the Odyssey. And, and more than that, he knew that he could do it. Milton excelled in his studies. He graduated top of his class at Cambridge and pursued a career as a poet and a pamphleteer. So that means he published short political tracts and, and uh, short poetry and, and things like that. Milton was the Mozart of poetry in his day. Uh, everything he touched turned to absolute gold. His writing was phenomenal, and everyone knew that he would be remembered for his exceptional skill uh, as a wordsmith. And while he was thankful for the recognition, uh, Milton knew that he hadn't even touched the depth of uh, his capability. Um, he, he he was consciously preparing himself to write a magnificent work, uh, which would be treasured throughout the ages. Sometimes he thought it would be an epic, uh, much like the epics of the past, specifically is, is what I'm trying to say, featuring kind of Greek gods and, and, and myth and, and that kind of thing, kind of like the *Iliad* of the Odyssey. Uh, but as he grew older, he heard the call uh, of God to, to write about the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, and, and he became convinced that his goal in life was to, dramatize, uh, a common biblical story that we also, that we all know so well, but, but not only dramatize it, but, but dramatize it in a way that we could really understand why God would allow the fall and, and why God would allow his creation to fall into, uh, sin and death. And so as he is dramatizing the fall of Satan and, 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 and the fall of man, uh, before God's very own eyes, uh, he thought he can make it beautiful and interesting and even deep and, and philosophical and, and, uh, and compelling so that we may understand the ways of God. He, he, he writes that, that, that he's trying to justify the ways of God to man. Milton was a deeply religious uh, figure. He loved God with all of his uh, mind, heart, soul, and strength. And he realized in his late 40s uh, that the, what he was going to write was going to be really important. It was going to be really powerful. But a few years later he realized that life might not work out the way that he had planned. His wife died tragically and prematurely. The English plummeted into a civil war and his infant child died soon after that. And so plans for writing this grand epic kept getting put on hold, you know, pushing farther and farther uh, into his life. He, he knew he wanted to wait and write it when he was older and, and more mature. Uh, but now that he was older and more mature, things kept happening and, and, and he wasn't quite able to do it. Well, after things settled down and he finally decided to begin writing, to his horror, he realized that he was losing his vision. And at the end of age 44, John Milton fell completely blind. And remember that in the 17th century, going blind meant that it was impossible to read or write. I mean, you had have, you'd have to do it by candlelight with a, what, a feather, I guess. So, you know, being blind was a death sentence for a poet or a writer. So, so here is John Milton. Okay? He, he knows that he is a creative genius, that he's a writing genius. And he thought that God was going to use him in powerful ways to write a Christian epic, which would inform and inspire theologians and Christians and thinkers forever. And God takes away his vision. I, I, I imagine Milton at his desk thinking, why? Why, God? Why, why? bless me? with skills that reach the heights of Shakespeare and knowledge across all of the New Testament. He was also a translator. Uh, that, that's, that's often what he did. He would translate these ancient works of antiquity uh, into, into English and other languages. He knew like four languages or something. It, 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 ridiculously intelligent. And, uh, and right before he's going to write his magnum opus with all of these references to scripture and these cross-references between philosophy and, and, and the great pagan philosophy and all this stuff, right before he writes that, he goes completely blind. And so I just imagine him sitting there thinking to himself, what, what are you doing, God? What, what are you thinking? What kind of cruel joke is this? That you would give me all this talent and skill and knowledge and prowess and then you'd make my life a tragedy and then make me go blind before I can really, really write. You know, we are so tempted to think that that God needs us. And I know, you know, you never think that maybe and I never think that. Uh, we never think that out loud, anyway. Um, we, we never, we never say to ourselves, "Man, what, what would God do without me?" But, but we impress ourselves, don't we, with our abilities and our uh, actions sometimes, and our achievements. We look at our knowledge or our character or our achievements or the way we've responded to certain situations or the way that we helped this person or the way that we suffered through that relationship or, or whatever we're doing, and we think to ourselves, "You know what?" we really are something special. I mean, I I really am. I'm I'm kind of something, aren't I? We, we, We impress ourselves. And so we betray our arrogance before the face of God. And so here is John Milton, blind as a bat, realizing that his creative mind is going to be wasted. And so he writes this poem called, When I Consider How My Light is Spent. And it's a sonnet, and I'm, I'm going to read it for you now, and then we'll, we'll break it down so that you can really appreciate each line. Um, so, here we go. When I consider how my light is spent, Ere half my days in this dark world and wide, And that one talent, which is death to hide, Lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent, To serve therewith my maker and present, My true account, lest he returning chide, Doth God exact day labor, light denied? I fondly ask, but patience to prevent. That murmur soon replies, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed, and post or land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. (laughs) <laughs> that is amazing and I'm going to guess if you're any kind of a normal person uh, you could not absorb all that just happened in one reading so again we're going to break this down line by line uh, and kind of explain what exactly is being said and, and, and kind of the profundity of each word even um, not every single word don't worry but but, but the profundity of some of these some of these ideas and some of these images and, uh, and I think you'll be able to see how genius this poem really is. And then when you step back and and see the whole grand picture of what Milton is saying, uh, I think you'll be able to admire it as much as I do. So, So the first two lines are, when I consider how my light is spent, ere half my days in this dark world and wide. So this is pretty simple. Milton is saying, when I think about my life and how I'm halfway through my journey through this world, And, you know, when he says my light, it's a symbol for lots of things, I'm sure the obvious allusion is to his blindness, but I'm sure it's also to his life, his intellect, his writing abilities, everything else. And we see that in in the next line. But, but what he's, what what he's really saying is "When, when I think about how my life has been spent, how my abilities have been used, how my intellect has been utilized. When I think about these things in the, in the world that's dark and empty, and how I'm already halfway through to the end. And here are the next two lines. He says, and that one talent, which is death to hide, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent. So notice the many ways that just this line can be read, right? The first way is is as a reference uh, or allusion to Jesus's parable of the talents in the Gospel of Mark. And in that parable, God gives each man a talent and he is uh, supposed to go and invest it so that when the, when the, when the tenant owner uh, or God comes back, he is shown to have been faithful with what he's been given. And so one guy goes and invests all the money uh, and he gets back a hundredfold. Another guy goes and invests and he gets thirtyfold. And when the last guy is examined, he he was too afraid of failure and so he buries the talent and he doesn't do anything with it and so when god comes back he is chastised uh, for not managing his talent well you can also see that while a talent is a certain sum of money uh, in the original greek text milton is using a talent to you know mean an english talent like in in, in, in english a talent is a is is a skill that you have or, or some kind of a gift like some kind of a gifting right like the ability to play piano really well or something like that that's you're talented at that uh, but for Milton he says and that one talent which is death to hide right so the first meaning is that I'm I'm good at this this is my one talent and I'm going to die and it's going to be hidden away in death this is this is classic Milton so that, that's kind of the first level but then the second level is he's saying two things at once three things really. Uh, the first is that he's going to die and his talent is going to be useless, right? It's going to be hidden away in his, in his death, but also that he feels as though God will be disappointed in him because he didn't use his skills to God's glory like he was supposed to do, right? Like that's that's the parable of the talents where God comes to him and says, how have you invested your talent? And he says, I, "I was afraid, and so I buried it, and and I knew that you were a harsh man, and, I, and and I'm really sorry, and 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 everything else." And so, so that there's that there's that second meaning, and then the third meaning is that for him, it is death to have to hide this talent because he can't write anymore. All Milton ever wanted to do was write, and now he's blind, and so even though he wants to write, uh, he can't, and so it, it is death. To hide this talent that he has. And so, and so that's where you can see those three different ideas convalesce into one line. Uh, do, do you see how amazing it is where he says, And that one talent, which is death to hide, right, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent. So you can see at least those three meanings uh, working at the same time and in, in, in three different ways where he's talking about how, how he's upset because he wants to please God. He's upset because he's going to die and he won't be able to use his talent. Uh, and, then, and then thirdly, it's so painful that he can't write that he's saying it's, it's like death for him. right? And that's, that's all compacted in this one line where he says, Ere half my days in this dark world and wide, and that one talent which is death to hide. Lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent. And, and, and so then in the next line he says, My soul is bent, God. I'm a little bent out of shape about this, though my soul is bent. Um, hello? You can imagine him saying to God, what are you doing? <laughs> this was my life goal. This is why I was born, to write this epic poem. And now I'm blind. You, you, you can't write when you're blind, this is how I was going to serve you. This was my task, my purpose. This is my talent. This is how I was going to invest it. And you could reap a hundredfold benefits. Why are you letting me go blind? You, you can't write when you're blind. You, you know that, right? God and, and death is going to hide my talent. Quote, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent. And so here, here are the next lines of course, you can see how he twists what he just said, to serve therewith my maker and present my true account, lest he returning chide. So once again, he has that dual meaning, right? The first meaning is that he's bent. He's mad. He's he's bent out of shape about this. But the second meaning is God, my soul was bent to serve my maker and present a true account of my faithfulness. So that when you return, you don't scold me for being irresponsible and afraid and burying my talent. So, so he's saying two things at the same time. First is, God, what are you doing? You're, you're supposed to give me a talent and then let me use it. But the second thing he's saying is, God, what, what are you doing? Don't you know that I want to do this? Don't you know that I want to serve you? I want to write this poem, to glorify you, to make you proud of me. So, so you can see both of those things in that line. He's saying, God, what are you doing? And also, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you taking this from me? So, so you see that anger, but you also see that, that sincere sadness. And so he writes, And that one talent, which is death to hide, Lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent, to serve therewith my maker and present my true account, lest he returning chide. And, then, and so here's the next line, quote, doth God exact day labor, light denied, I fondly ask, but patience to prevent that murmur soon replies. So pause quote. Notice, that, notice how he says this. So the picture is this. The picture is Milton going to ask God in his mind, uh, a, a question, right? He's going to ask a, a question of God from his heart and he's going to ask him, does God expect work from someone and then strike them blind so they can't do it? And, and so, so the, the line reads, I fondly ask as if he's, as if he's asking with kindness, right? Doth God exact day labor light like denied? I fondly ask. And so this is great because, because he says, I fondly ask, um, as if he's asking with, with kindness, but then the poem goes on. But patience to prevent that murmur soon replies. Meaning, I am trying to ask fi- fondly, right? He says I ask fondly, but it's really a murmur against God. And you know that because patience to prevent that murmur soon replies. So, so don't lose the big picture here. The, the image that Milton is giving us is him coming before God and murmuring against him saying, God, you gave me this talent, but now I'm blind. Do you really expect me to serve you? And then you deny my vision so that I can't do the thing that that you told me to do and I wanted to do? Before he can ask the question, fondly, of course, before his heart can question God, and in order to prevent Milton from murmuring against his goodness, God replies to the question before he asks it right? Or, or prefer he, or, or excuse me, or perhaps he responds to his own question before he asks it, right? That's kind of ambiguous. It just says, uh, but patience to prevent that murmur soon replies. Uh, so, so the poem goes, but patience to prevent that murmur soon replies. And then here's the reply, right? This is great. This is so amazing. It almost brings a, a tear to my eye if I hadn't lost my tear ducks in the war, <clears throat> you know, because I'm a, I'm a man. This is, this is, this is how the, uh, the poem finishes. Quote, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed, and post o'er land and ocean without rest they also serve who only stand and wait. Wow. That is an amazing poem. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm I'm going to guess that, that on that first reading, you're like, still don't quite get it. So don't worry. I'm, I'm going to explain it. So what Milton is saying is God does not need you. Quote, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Hey, God gave you your gifts in the first place. They're really his gifts. They don't even belong to you. You didn't earn it. He gave them to you. So God doesn't need your work or your gifts. Quote, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. Meaning, you want to serve God? You know, he'll tell you how to serve him. How does Jesus over and over again tell us how to serve God? Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew 11, somewhere towards the end of the chapter. That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to rest in him. Do, do you know who God's best servants are? Those who work humbly and accept their mild yoke, says Milton. Quote, who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed. God is kingly. God created the heavens and the earth. He designed astrophysics and nuclear physics, special relativity and quantum mechanics. He designed light and heat and laughter and butterflies and frogs and zebras. He invented eye contact and hair and language and food and sex and the ocean. He created everything without even expending a fraction of his creative or imaginative energy. When you realize that God is sustaining all of the things that he created by himself, he doesn't need you. And it's actually a huge relief when you realize how tiny and insignificant we are. You can have a sigh of relief by realizing that you actually should be humble. You should be humble. Not that you have to be humble, that you get to be humble. God has been managing global politics since the dawn of time, all while keeping track of black holes and maintaining ecosystems exactly as he sees fit. He doesn't need you. He's been spreading the gospel throughout the world since he invented it. C.S. Lewis has a similar idea to this in Perilandra. It's a, it's a great work. I'm not a huge fan of Lewis fiction, believe it or not. I know, sorry. But, but Perilandra is, is really good. It's, it's a great book uh, where the premise is that someone from our world is transported to kind of Earth 2.0, except in, in this reality, uh, Adam and Eve um, haven't fallen yet. They haven't, they haven't you know introduced sin and death into the world yet. And so in this world, there's only one human being, and they haven't disobeyed God. And so the guy is trying to battle Satan day and night uh, in this three-way argument. Well, two-way argument with the girl in the middle. Uh, and, of course, Satan is trying to get this girl to fall. And uh, the guy from our world is trying to convince this girl to remain pure and not disobey God. Otherwise, there will be sin and death and and wars and, and famine and th- things that she cannot understand at all as a you know holy, good, and, and pure and innocent being. Um, and so, of course, Satan is trying to attack that. And at the end of the book, uh, the main character is like, "Whoa, that was that was intense. Jeez, God, what in the world were you thinking, putting me down there to battle Satan? And I'm trying to convince this poor little girl not to disobey you, and and how from the world that I'm from, you know how terrible things went after uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed uh, God, and and how uh, the world that I'm supposed to explain to her with sin and death doesn't even exist for her and she, she can't even comprehend those things. She has no idea what I'm talking about. And, and did you hear Satan's arguments? Satan was making good arguments. How am I supposed to respond to those arguments? She almost fell for it so many times. What were you thinking putting me down there? I was way outmatched. And then as he's explaining all of this, um, I think it's an archangel who's just kind of subtly smiling as the main character is explaining this and he slowly is realizing that God had everything under control the whole time. God had meticulously planned and provided for every little thing along the way that he needed in order to succeed his mission. The the classic C.S. Lewis line is, quote, take comfort in your smallness, O small one, end quote. And, and, it's so beautiful because what what he's saying is you, you couldn't have screwed it up, okay? Because God factored in your screw-ups before you were born. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Do you think he was really relying on you to get it done? No. <laughs> no, he wasn't. So, so take comfort in your smallness and in your insignificance because God has chosen you to be a part of his plans and he doesn't need you. So Milton is saying the same thing here. Quote, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bears his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed, and post o'er land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. And so Milton finishes his poem with this amazing image that has stuck with me for years. Uh, and, and, and the Milton, the, the image, excuse me, that, that Milton imagines is, is having this conversation with an angel or perhaps a son, uh, the son, you know, God, the son, as opposed to the father or, or, or whoever this voice is in Milton's head. And, and he says, his state is kingly. Are, are you forgetting who God is? Oh, Milton. Oh, insignificant one? Oh, oh you, think, you think you're a pretty good writer, huh? You think you're as good as Shakespeare? Oh, great. Well, guess who invented Shakespeare? <laughs> God has legions of angels who are at his beck and call, and he himself has created the angels, and these angels are ready to do anything for their Lord at the drop of a hat. Quote, thousands at his bidding speed and post over land and ocean Without rest. So you get this image of thousands of angels who are in God's service uh, zipping over land and ocean, doing whatever needs to be done for the kingdom, uh, without resting. But then you also have thousands of angels who are just at their posts throughout the world. They're just, this is their territory, or this is their spot, this is their person, however God does it. and and they're just there. And don't you see, oh man, God's mighty servants? He doesn't need you. And then he ends with this line. Quote, they also serve who only stand and wait. So you have the angels who are zipping around and doing everything that needs to be done. But you also have the angels in the inner chambers of the holiest of holies in heaven. Or who are standing at their posts on earth. Angels who are capable of anything that God would ever need them to do. Who knows the untold power or knowledge of these heavenly hosts? Yet since creation, all they've done is stand and wait, not moving a single muscle, ready should God ever need them. And they also serve God by not doing anything. And they exist to be a conscious declaration of God's sufficiency and they are perfectly happy with waiting and this is the image that Milton gives us angels who are dashing to and fro answering every bid and call with immediate wonder and then you have the angels who are more powerful than we could imagine and they're just standing there waiting in case God might give them an order And here Milton sees himself, perhaps at his desk, and he says, (laughs) look at me, feeling sorry for myself because I'm not able to write my poem. God doesn't need me. God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly thousands at his bidding speed and post o'er land and ocean without rest they also serve who only stand and wait so milton takes comfort in his smallness he reminds himself that those who simply bear their mild yoke those who simply stay humble and do the things that are right in front of them to do that god has given them to do if they if they be faithful with their mild yoke they are the ones who serve god best he remembers that it is for our honor and glory and joy that we get to be a part of god's greatness because he doesn't need us but he decides to let us in on being so that we too may be happy and good I thought of an analogy, uh, maybe it's not really needed, but I imagine maybe a sports announcer uh, who makes a ton of money and he's on top of his game and everyone loves him, and he invites his daughter to come and sit on his lap while he calls the game. Or or maybe a pilot who lets his son hold the stick, even though the plane is on autopilot, right? That pilot has perfect control over that aircraft. but But he says, come on, come on. I'll show you. I'll show you what I do. Here, you can help. Hold on. Hold on to this. Look, see that? We're flying. That is a good and precious and loving father. And that's what he wants. He wants us to call him father. And he wants us to bear our mild yokes. And he invented the family unit so that we may understand how much he loves us. And he faced the full wrath of God so that we would see his justice and his mercy to atone for our sins. That's how much he loves us. Not only to suffer and die for our sakes so that we might be with him, but also that he would include us in his master plan of bringing joy and peace and happiness and glory throughout all of the cosmos and f- throughout all time. So I'll read Mil- Milton's uh, poem, one last time, uh, from from top to bottom, so that you can savor every last line. Now that you uh, hopefully understand it, I'll try to read it slowly. <clears throat> when I consider how my light is spent, ere half my days in this dark world and wide, and that one talent which is death to hide, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent. To serve therewith my Maker and present. My true account, lest he returning chide, doth God exact day labor, light denied? I fondly ask, but patience to prevent. That murmur soon replies, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed and post o'er land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. Thank you for listening to the Well-Read Christian Podcast. Anyway, um, John Milton lived from 1608 to 1674 in England. England? In England? He lived in England. Jeez. I want to know what you're feeling. There are some things you can hide. I want to know what you're thinking. Tell me what's on your mind. Boom, bum boom, 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 pure energy Boom, bum boom, bum boom, bum pure energy down to the town tick down, a town down to the down, down, tick down town tick down, down, a town down down, down, tick a town down tick down tick down bum 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 There is nothing I can do.